welcome back. This is Karami. And I'm Cassandra. And we're Too Good to Be True. And this week I'm going to be covering another cult leader, Gwen Shamblin Lara. And there are some financial aspects to it and some other stuff. Um, as we covered in my last cult episode, The Brethren, cults aren't always necessarily about financial control, although there is an aspect of that and there's scamming that goes on involving money. But it's not all about that. There's also some other things. So before I go into it, I do want to quickly give a trigger warning because this episode discusses the abuse and murder of a child. And while we never really go into gory details because that is not the focus of our podcast, we don't try to glorify that kind of stuff. We don't try to be morbid about everything. So I'm not going to go deep into detail, but I understand it can still be a sensitive topic. So if this isn't something you think you can stomach, you may want to skip this episode or at least that part of it. Um, I will try to do my best to do another trigger warning right before I get into it. So you can just skip that section if you want. But I'm just going to jump in. Gwen was an American author and founder of the Way Down Workshop, a Christian weight loss program that emphasized the role of faith in achieving weight loss. She gained widespread recognition for her work in the field of weight loss, but her legacy has been overshadowed by controversy surrounding her personal life and the tragic end to her life. Spoiler alert, she's no longer with us. Oh, I was going to say, oh, wait. So, okay. All right. Very recently no longer with us. Born on February 18, 1955 in Memphis, Tennessee, Gwen grew up in a Baptist family and attended the University of Tennessee, where she earned an undergraduate degree in dietetics and a master's degree in food and nutrition with an emphasis in biochemistry. I don't even know if that's daddy, that word, dietetics, I think it is. I don't know. I have to look it up. Listen, I have like it. I have no idea. <laughs> she married David Shamblin in 1978 and went on to have two children with him, Michelle Elizabeth and Michael, and Michelle Elizabeth eventually ends up going by Elizabeth instead of Michelle. Okay. Later on in life. David himself had a master's in divinity, so he actually was, you know, in, in you know, the field of, like, ministry. In the field of ministry. And, and faith and religion and that kind of stuff, whereas she had studied, obviously, like I said, uh, nutrition and was a dietitian and everything. And something I learned not too long ago was the difference between a dietitian and, and, and a nutritionist. I didn't really know. I didn't go too deep into it before. Like, somebody had asked me, some, I can't remember what it was. It was something on Reddit, and somebody had asked about a dietitian or, or a nutritionist. So a dietitian is somebody that actually does go to school and gets, like, licenses and stuff. They get licensed to do this kind of work. And a nutritionist, basically anybody can be a nutritionist. They just study a couple things and call themselves a nutritionist, and there's no actual licensing involved in it. So the fact that she did go to school and everything, she does actually have the education, but she didn't use it for good. Right. I was going to say she sounds... Like she would be smart because, I mean, when you were listing off all those things, I'm like, yeah. I mean, if you ever need help with dieting and stuff, you want to do a dietitian and not a nutritionist, but not her. And somebody like her. And she was a registered dietitian, a consultant, and a faculty member at Memphis State University for five years. And for another five years, she worked for the city's Tennessee Department of Health. 
After working as a registered dietitian for several years, she became interested in the role of face in weight loss and founded the Weigh Down Workshop in 1986. Shamblin held the first class in a ball in Memphis, Tennessee, and the program was originally offered as small classes in different retail and non-religious settings, but she began holding the classes at Bellevue Baptist Church near Memphis. Memphis. God, I can't, I keep wanting to stutter every time I do Memphis. Anyway, she began holding the classes at Bellevue Baptist Church near Memphis in the 90s. So she started in a mall, started in a mall. Now we here. <laughs> now we here. And now she's in a church. In a church, yeah. She's in the Bellevue Baptist Church. So not one of her own. She's just holding the classes at church. And the program consisted of 12-week seminars guided by Shamblin in audio and videotapes. The Way Down Workshop quickly became popular among Christians looking to lose weight, and Shamblin's program was featured in numerous media outlets. It was offered in about 600 churches in 35 states by 1994. And I remember it has started in 86, so by 94 we're here. So, like, it's like a program? Yes. Yeah, it's a 12-week-long program. It's guided by her. Like, obviously she can't be in city clear churches at the same time. So she does have audio and video tapes that they were using, and she was guiding it. You know, they'd, they'd have, like, an instructor or whatever, and then she would guide it. That's what I was just going to ask. Like, did she have videotapes? Yes. Yes. She looks from, like, okay, Karami showed me her picture, and I was like, this, damn. <laughs> well, that too, but, like, she looked familiar. Like, I'd seen her somewhere. I don't know where, but, yeah. And by January 1995, it was offered in more than 1,000 churches in 49 states, Great Britain, and Canada. By July 1996, the program had grown to about 5,000 churches, and also in 1996, the program had a staff of 40 people and a headquarters now in Franklin, Tennessee. By August 1998, the workshop had hosted more than 21,000 classes with more than 250,000 participants. So it massively grew. I was just saying, dang, it just took off. Shamland also authored several books, including The Way Down Diet and Rise Above. Her work was praised for its focus on faith and spirituality as a means of achieving weight loss rather than traditional dieting methods. She didn't really advocate for diet and exercise and counting calories under your traditional trendy stuff that you'll find in a fad diet. So people were thinking, this is great, this is different. The program is based on the premise that the key to losing weight is to address the underlying emotional and spiritual issues that lead to overeating and to other unhealthy behaviors. That's not a horrible idea. No, it's really not. I think that it would be useful in addition to a regular, carefully thought-out diet plan by a professional. I don't think this is the way to go, just focusing on God and God alone. Maybe add it in if that's kind of how you're feeling. Correct. That I mean, that's, that seems appropriate. Yeah, because not everybody's religious, but... Also, the program is centered around the idea of intuitive eating, which means listening to your body and eating only when you are hungry rather than following a strict diet or meal plan, which also makes sense. Only eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. But yes, that definitely makes sense. But you can't just change that about a lot of people. There's some behavioral issues, there's trauma, there's reasons they're doing that. 
The way down encourages participants to focus on their internal hunger signals and to eat only when they are truly hungry rather than eating out of boredom, stress, or other emotional triggers. So I mean, still it's sounding good. I mean, right now it sounds good. I know we're going a place of, uh, <laughs> of we always do. Prefer. In addition to the focus on intuitive eating, the way down also incorporates elements of spirituality and faith. Participants are encouraged to turn to God for strength and support in their weight loss journey and to rely on prayer and meditation to help them overcome emotional eating and other unhealthy behaviors. One of the key aspects of the Way Down program is its emphasis on community support. Participants are encouraged to join local Way Down groups where they can connect with others who are also working to lose weight and improve their health. The Way Down program has been widely praised for its holistic approach to weight loss, which addresses not only the physical aspects of losing weight, but also the emotional and spiritual components. However, some critics have raised concerns. They are concerned about the Way Down's emphasis on spirituality, arguing that it may not be appropriate for everyone, and that it could potentially be used to exploit vulnerable individuals who are struggling with weight and body image issues. Additionally, some experts have questioned the scientific validity of the program's claims, arguing that there is limited evidence to support the idea that intuitive eating is an effective weight loss strategy. Okay. That's also fair. I mean, I can see why they would make that point. Right. Like I said, there's a lot, there's a lot of factors that go into it, and you need more kind of professional help if you're, I mean, if you're severely obese, you know, there's usually there's health reasons for it. There might be mental health reasons for it. There's behavioral issues. You know, you can't just do a slap one big cure-all. Yeah, you can't. There's going to be many factors leading to your issues. Right. So it's like you can't just be like, okay, this is this is perfect. Let's do this one thing. Right. Well, in 2001, Way Down Workshop was investigated by CBS affiliate WTVF on how they spent their money. Because they were asking her, like, okay, you're obviously making bank off of this. Where is it going? Shamblin stated that half the money went to taxes and the other half went back into the program. But then how is she profiting off of it? Because the lady wasn't living a humble lifestyle. She had a large seven-bedroom mansion on about 25 acres in Brentwood that went by the name of Ashlong. So she had to be making some money to pay for that. She also had multiple other properties. I think in total she had maybe 18 or 20 properties they had. They had homes in Florida. They had jets. They had helicopters. Holy shit. And her house was so fancy it had its own name. And at this time... There was a lawsuit from former employees who claimed that they were fired for not following Shanlin's religious views. So they weren't interested in being Christians and joining her little church, so she fired them. Okay, so she'd be, like, really particular right. about the it, fact that you have to have these religious ties. And you can't do that. Yeah. You can't discriminate based on religion in the U.S. And she later ended up settling the case. So it just kind of went away. This next one, I don't even, Shamlin had also compared her diet plan to the Holocaust. Excuse me, what? Favorably. She compared it favorably. She claimed that the Jewish people kept as prisoners 
during the Holocaust were thin because they weren't eating more than they needed. Now that, no, they weren't eating more than they needed because they weren't being fed. They were forced, they were forcefully starved. How good. And she actually touted that as, as a, as a positive. As a positive thing. Yeah, look at all these Jewish people. They're in great shape because they didn't eat more than their body needed. No, they were in terrible shape because they were starving and being abused and murdered. Yeah, and that's not being healthy. Like, that's not healthy. Yeah. I mean, okay, they were physically in good shape, but there's no way in hell they were actually healthy. You know, physically, they were thin, but they were yeah. healthy. Exactly. Oh, no, fuck. Well, she went on then to, to form her own church, her own fellowship. The Remnant Fellowship was founded by Gwen Shamblin in Franklin, Tennessee in 1999. The group is based in Brentwood, Tennessee, not far from Ashland, and has attracted a number of followers who are drawn to its message of discipline and obedience. One of the hallmarks of the Remnant Fellowship is its strict rules and regulations. What else has strict rules and regulations? A cult, yep. <laughs> Members are expected to adhere to a strict diet and exercise program, as well as to follow a rigid schedule of prayer and worship. The group also places a strong emphasis on discipline and obedience, and members are expected to submit to the authority of their spiritual leaders. Submit to the authority of their spiritual leaders. Sounds exactly like a cult. Those who fail to comply with these rules may face discipline or expulsion from the group. She's also been known to kick people out for being too fat. That's ridiculous. Another defining feature of the Remnant Fellowship is its belief in the concept of the Remnant. According to the group's teachings, the Remnant is a group of true believers who are destined to survive the end times and inherit eternal life. The group believes that only those who are part of the Remnant will be saved and that the Remnant is a small, select group of people who have been chosen by God. While some members of the Remnant Fellowship report positive experiences, others have raised concerns about the group's control over its members and its cult-like tendencies. So she just made this up. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of how they do. That's how they do it. They kind of latch onto an idea that they have that they think is correct, and they start manipulating others to follow them. Some former members have accused the group of exerting undue influence over its followers and of using discipline and other tactics to maintain control. Others have raised concerns about the group's strict rules and regulations. Ex-members describe the remnant as being like the Stepford Wives or the Handmaid's Tale. All members dress and act the same, and they all give off a very happy front. No matter what's going on, they all look very happy, but that's it. They just look happy. The church even has its own network of businesses. I believe it's called Exodus. It has all kinds of services from mechanics to hair salons, even a homeschooling network because she doesn't want people to have to get out into the outside world. And this is insane. The more you're talking about it, I'm like, so like they were just coming up with their own everything just so people had access to it and wouldn't have to leave their basically like i don't know what you would even call it like because i wouldn't say it was a community yeah i mean but kind of want to liken it almost to like a compound but it's yeah. really not because they're not all living you know on this one tract of land but they are all living in the same area they're all going to the same church they're all 
having all their marriages and um, big events and like important stuff, it's all being held at Ashland. And then they have all of these these insider businesses and you know why would you need to go you know get your hair done somewhere else because we have a salon right here crazy oh it spirals even more shamlin's personal life became increasingly controversial controversial in the early 2000s in 2018 she divorced her husband of 30 years when she had married in 1978 and she married joseph lara a member of the Way Down Workshop staff, only two months later. How convenient. Can get divorced, bam, married, just that fast. But Joe Lauro himself was a scammer. He never wanted to work, and he spent all of his life trying to get out of paying for anything while still living a life of luxury and just having fun and doing whatever. He actually was an actor. He played in a made-for-TV movie, Tarzan. He was Tarzan. And so he was very attractive, and he could just seduce women and get them to pay for everything and house him and buy him things, and that's kind of what he did. And he had actually had a daughter with a previous girlfriend, and they were in Tennessee, and he was trying to work on his country music career because that's that was his new thing. <laughs> and the actor to country music and the, the girlfriend agreed, you know, you can do this for so long, and then if it doesn't take off, we're going to move back to Chicago, where I'm from, to be near my family and where we can both get jobs. And he didn't want to get a job, and he didn't want to move, and he wanted to keep doing what he wanted to do. And so when she was like, you know what, I I'm going to move then. If, you if you're all coming with me, I'm still going. He filed a false report that she was sexually abusing their child to keep her from her and to keep her from leaving. What a piece of work he is. So now these two lovely, lovely people are together. You know the shit's going to really hit the fan now. Mm -hmm. Well, when he saw when he saw an opportunity, and so he took it. He saw all this woman that has all this money, these millions of dollars, this huge mansion, all these followers that'll do whatever she says and come to her beck and call. And so he seduced her the way that he always did. And he married her so he could fund his lifestyle. Wow. He was referred to by one ex-member as a paid escort for Gwen. <laughs> I mean, essentially, yeah, it does kind of seem that way. I mean, and he gets what he wants and she gets what she wants and who the fuck cares, you know? Except for the fact that they're going to start scamming people, obviously. Yeah. And after Gwen married Joe, her sermons became shorter and she was constantly taking off on vacations with Joe because that's what he wanted to do. And I included this quote because there's one ex-member. Her name's Helen Bird. Oh, my God. I just fucking love her. She's hilarious. In her interview, I was just, like, rolling the whole time because she says what needs to be said, but she just does it in such a matter-of-fact way, and she's so funny. I'm quoting her. I just don't understand how you can get divorced and then, like, before the ink is dry, you engage. The fuck out of here with that, okay? Just miss me completely, like the broad side of a bus. Just miss me completely with that. <laughs> oh my gosh, this lady. Like the rod side of a bus. <laughs> well, the church also had a profound effect on both the Shamlin's children. Her daughter Elizabeth's son passed away at five months of age, and she wasn't allowed to grieve him. At that church. Like at all. No, at that church, when somebody dies, 
you ignore it. You don't grieve. You don't talk about it. Nothing is done. You, you go on as if it didn't happen. That's bizarre. Yes. And she, over time, you know, she had other kids, but I mean, it's still, she lost her child. And she eventually began to look worn out and sick. Like, she started off as a, as a cute girl, but after all of this happened, I mean, she was just gone. And she she looked like, I mean, honestly, she looked a lot like Sissy Spacek, but in Carrie, the look of somebody who is being abused yeah. and is deeply unhappy and unwell and is trying to mask it. I see what you're saying, yeah. I mean, physically, she looked a lot like her, but also... It, in, in the way that it showed on her face. It, I mean, the girl was not okay. She was just going through the motions, basically. Yeah, and faking it because she's not allowed to grieve. You're not allowed to be upset. You're not allowed to be depressed. It's like the brethren. That's awful. And Michael actually did have some, the son, he had some depression issues and he was never allowed to show that and that was an issue. And he also would go up and down in his weight and whenever he was fatter, she wouldn't allow him. She would just not have him be involved in anything. Right. Like, that didn't look good for yeah, him. He was like big into music and singing and everything. And he would put on concerts and whatever and, and, and lead them in singing. And whenever he was heavier, she wouldn't have him so much front and center doing that because that wasn't a good look for her because she's saying that the thinner you are, the closer to God you are. And then there's her own kid who's heavy. And... Michael, the whole time, was just miserable within the church. And he did leave at one point to pursue a music career, and when he returned, he was really angry. He had affairs with members of the church and admitted that he was so angry that sometimes he would go out at night and shoot at the church. Like, shoot at it? Yes, yeah, shoot at it. He told this to a girl um, who was trying to get out of the church. She was trying to leave her husband, and, and of course, divorce wasn't a thing until Gwen decided it was okay. And so people weren't allowed to divorce, and she was trying to leave the husband. She was trying to leave the church. And Gwen was threatening her, saying that all of their money would go towards his, you know, legal defense in the divorce if she left the church. And so this girl figured Michael was her owl, and so she got, you know, to be more intimate with him and got him to spill some secrets and stuff. And then she was like, you tell your mom that I know all this and it's going to come out unless I'm allowed to leave the church. <laughs> so that's how we know these secrets. That is pretty smart. And there's also another couple that's interviewed the Wingards, I think was their name. And their daughter was kind of sucked into this cult by some kid that she went to high school with. They started dating. He was in the church. She got her involved. And then she basically wanted nothing to do with them after because they wouldn't join her in the church. And it's just a very sad situation all around that they were losing their daughter over this cult. These poor people. Like, it's, it's always sad when this shit happens. It's like these people are just so... They're just in deep, you know? Mm -hmm. They think that it's the perfect thing for them. It's the solution to all their problems, and it never is. No. So now I'm going to get into my trigger warning. We're going to talk about the death of Joseph Smith. Joseph and Sonia Smith joined the remnant in 2000. They had a son also named Joseph, although spelled differently. He had the Joseph with an F at the end, who in 2003 was eight years old. And he had some behavioral issues, which 
when I tell you the things that they did to him, of course he had behavioral issues. He would act out and curse and threaten to kill people, and he had knives that he would keep in his bed from the kitchen. According to reports, Joseph's parents had a history of domestic violence, and they had been the subject of several complaints to the authorities. They regularly beat Joseph with foot-long glue sticks, belts, and heated coat hangers. They also would lock him in small confined spaces for long periods of time to pray to a picture of Jesus, and they would tie his hands with rope and give him only a bucket to use as a toilet. Sometimes an older brother would hold him down for beatings. However, no action was taken to remove Joseph from the dangerous environment in which he lived, and there was a girl even that would, that would babysit the kids at the remnant. I don't think she was part of the church. She was just a babysitter. There's a hot air. And one day Joseph was just like kind of having a meltdown. And she asked his dad, you know, what, what can I do? You know, what works for him? What's going to calm him down? And he said, just hit it really hard. Oh and my she, God. And she said, no, I don't feel comfortable striking your child. And he told her again, he's like, no, you just need to hit him really hard. And she again was like, no. So at that point, he took him to another room, and she could hear him just beating him. And she said that's the last day she did that. She didn't babysit again for the... That's horrible. Like, put that on a teenage girl. I can't even with that. So Joseph was ultimately murdered by his parents on October 3rd, 2003. He passed away after being taken from their Mableton, Alabama home to a children's hospital. His father told authorities that Joseph had passed out while they were attending an online prayer session with their church. He said Joseph was warm to the touch, wet with sweat, and unresponsive. And he claimed to have taken him out to the carport and placed him on the concrete to have a cooling effect because he believed that Joseph was overheating. Like, what the fuck? And it didn't work, of course. Well, his father had beaten him with a glue stick several times that day as punishment. And Cobb County medical examiners concluded that little Joseph had died as a result of acute and chronic abuse. The cause of death was kind of listed duly as uh, blunt force trauma and asphyxiation. Because they well, couldn't figure out which one it really was. I don't know why they didn't try to lie, because obviously they're going to be able to see what had been done. There's going to be physical signs. Right. And, I mean, I saw not pictures of the body, but, I, you know, they do like the map of your body when you go in for an autopsy and they they mark where you might have lesions and stuff right like that and he had bruises every everywhere everywhere except the palms of his hands and the soles of his feet that boy was bruised oh my god the smiths were arrested in december 2003 and they spent four months in jail before members of the remnant bailed them out members of the remnant paid for the couple's legal defense in georgia versus smith You've got to be kidding me. So, like, they're totally being backed by this group because they fully believe that, like, this is okay? Absolutely. It, it gets a little worse. Shamblin said that the members voted unanimously to cover the legal expenses for the couple. The Smiths were each charged with four counts of murder, five counts of first-degree cruelty to children, three counts of aggravated assault, and two counts of false imprisonment. During the trial, prosecutors stated that on the day of his death, Joseph was beaten and locked in a wooden box. 
His brother, Michael, confirmed this in his testimony. He said that Joseph was acting out and cursing during the online church service, so he was placed in a wooden box, and then Michael tied the box closed with an extension cord. This happened during a church service? Yes. Was everyone aware of this? I don't think that they, you know, announced that this was happening, but even if they had, they probably would have been like, Good job! Good for Canada! Way to beat the shit out of that kid and stuff him in a box. Yep. And after 10 or 15 minutes, Joseph had become quiet, so Michael opened the box and found him unresponsive. Sonia had told investigators that the children usually received whippings in increments of 10 blows each, and that Joseph had received several of these whippings that day. 10 blows is bad enough, but he had several of those. Mm -hmm. Joseph's father had even told a police officer on scene, and I quote, not going to lie to you, he's bruised. Rich. Th this is infuriating. Really? Are you kidding me? They were convicted on February 16th, 2007, and on March 27th, 2007, they were sentenced to life plus 30 years in prison, which is the maximum punishment allowed. As they should be. Good for them. Fuckers. So... How is the church involved? That's obviously, a very good question. Obviously, the church is involved because I wouldn't be bringing this all up if it wasn't. As I said earlier, the Smiths were members of the remnant since 2000. Former members of the church have stated that the church teachings on discipline include discussion of corporal punishment. The church itself has stated that they leave punishment up to the parents and spankings are only a last resort, but... According to their website and according to recordings that I heard with my own ears, they fucking lie. So, like, they were involved. Yeah. Were they ever? Their website actually included this testimony from a member. I was hesitant and sometimes refused to properly discipline my children because I didn't want to hurt them or have them hate me. Now, I discipline my children in order to save their souls from hell rather than being concerned about their flesh. To save their souls from hell. A.K.A. We're gonna beat the shit out of my kids. Yeah, we're gonna beat the fucking shit out of these kids. To save their souls from hell. And let me tell you, I grew up with a religious zealot father who's spanked and, and used physical abuse in order to bestow obedience upon me. And, uh... Another spoiler alert, guys. I'll fucking talk to that man. So this is not the way to go. <laughs> I was gonna say, listen, that's why I don't do that. And I was, somebody suggested to me once to do that to my children. And I was like, excuse me, no. You, you do what you want. I don't agree with it. But those are your children. But like, I, I, no. Hell no. How are you supposed to teach children how to become mature adults with healthy conflict resolution when you're teaching them that when someone's being bad you physically assault them yeah that just doesn't even make sense and how are you teaching them to be emotionally expressive if when they cry or get upset you hit them i mean they're people they have feelings and not only that but they are young people and so they don't know how to control those feelings yet it's your job to teach, teach them how to work through those feelings and those emotions and not just beat them into submission yeah and that's what i try to do it's like you need to understand that 
they're little human beings. They're not just things to be controlled, which I mean is what they were probably treating them like because clearly that's how they run things at this fucking group. Right. They just control whoever can be controlled. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's all about control and power. Right. Well, the Smith's attorneys made a deal with the prosecution to limit the church's involvement in the trial, and police stated that they couldn't find a link between Joseph's death and the church. Uh, how the fuck they couldn't find it because I found it. <laughs> However, Remnant Fellowship owns a website, thesmithsareinnocent.com, that attempts to prove that the Smiths are innocent. You have to be joking to know. It's like... One shitty thing after another. It's still up, too. I, I checked. It's still up. And they okay. try to make a whole case for them being innocent. At one point, they even owned thesmithsareguilty.com solely to redirect it back to thesmithsareinnocent.com. I can't even believe that they bought a full-ass domain just to redirect it. Just to redirect it to the other so side. they could control the narrative. That's fucking wild. The remnant claims that Joseph did not die from abuse, but rather that he had a bacterial infection from chronic eczema. And at this point, I was like, what the fuck? Because let me tell you, I have eczema. I've had eczema my whole life, and it was severe when I was a child. If you see old pictures of me as a child, I had like raw open sores all over my hands from the eczema. And let me tell you, out of all of those years, and I still have eczema, but I have learned how to manage it to the point where it's not extremely noticeable. You might see a patch here and there, but and that's not it. That's poison. I got poison. But um, I never had a bacterial infection from eczema, and I don't know if anybody else that died from eczema. And even if your child did have an open wound from eczema and they got something into it and they got a bacterial infection, they got a staph infection, it's still your fucking fault if they die from that because you need to take them to the hospital and get treatment. Everything you just said, bruh, exactly. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, my sister always had really bad eczema too, like, very severe, like you're saying, and always had open wounds, like you were saying. And I've never in my life, and even so, like you said, if something bad were to get in to an open wound, you get the medical attention. Right. What the actual fuck? That's exactly what I was like ready to just like throw everything down and walk away. There were parts of this documentary that I watched that I was so angry or like so just upset. There were times where like I was crying. There were times where I was just furious. And not just about Joseph. Just in general, there's other things going on that I'll get into that are just fucking terrible. And so even after their conviction, Ted Anger, which is a perfect name for him, because according to the ex-members, he's a fucking dick. And he liked to punish people and was really mean and yelled at people and stuff. And at one point they said that he tried to be pretentious about it and change his last name to Ajay instead of Anger. But they were like, nah, man, Anger fits Edgar. Not at all. Ajay. Yeah, so he was one of the leaders of the remnant, and he said he still believed that the Smiths were innocent. Then in 2004, a year after this, the church was raided in connection to the case, but the police once again said that they found nothing to connect the church to the murder. However, I heard a recording from Sonia calling in to Gwen. It was Gwen's voice, clearly Gwen's voice. And Sonia told her, Gwen... 
Joseph was acting out again, and I took all of your advice, and I just want to thank you so much because I did everything you told me to do. I locked him in his room for Friday until Monday with nothing but his bottle, and I spanked him and all of you know, all of these things that Gwen suggested. And Gwen praised her and said, great job. Oh, my God. And then they're saying there's no proof that the church was behind it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they're how they're not connecting it. The things of this church directly correlate to this child dying. That's a literal audible proof. Also, in 2004, Shamblin was interviewed alongside Ted Anker by News Channel 5 out of Nashville, and they were real nihilists. They were just like, fuck this lady. And they played that recording. Are you serious? They were really gunning for her. Oh, my. And she tried to claim that that recording was altered, but it wasn't. And she later admitted that she would lie if needed to protect the church. Okay, so then, point blank, we know you're lying. Right. During the interview, she was also asked to explain the meeting behind what they call a showdown spanking. A what? Excuse me? She replied, A showdown spanking would be one that a child knows that you're the parent and that they're the child, but that shouldn't have to be more than once in their life. Basically, it's beat the fuck out of your kid until they submit to you. Until... Probably the brink of death. Yeah, and they're too and, afraid. And they're too afraid, so then you never have to do that again, I guess. That's insane, literally. Well, there was one guy that had talked about how he spanked his two-and-a-half-year-old child 30 times. A two-year-old submitted to him. 30 times, a two-and-a-half-year-old on the back of his thigh, or her thighs. I can't remember what the gender of the child was. But on the back of the child's thighs, he spanked them 30 times until they were worn down enough to submit to him to do whatever they wanted. That's ridiculous. There's no need for that. A two-year-old? Mm-hmm. Now, as of 2013, the Smiths were still members of the Remnant, and I'm not sure if they still are, but I mean, I would imagine that they are, especially considering this website is still up. That's unbelievable. Well... On May 29th was to be the wedding of the girl that I talked about, the one that started dating the guy in high school. Okay. And he got her into the church. And her parents had told her that if Gwen officiates your wedding, we aren't coming. <laughs> those, those are some smart people. On the same day, on May 29th, 2001, 2021, sorry. Gwen and six church leaders, including her husband and her son-in-law, were flying in her 1982 Cessna Citation 201 private jet bound for Palm Beach, Florida, when it crashed into Percy Priest Lake near Smyrna, Tennessee. That morning, she passed away. This wedding still took place. Because, like I said, they're not allowed to grieve. They're not allowed to They're not allowed this. So they're just like, okay... That happened. That was a thing that happened, but we're still having this wedding. They didn't even talk about it. At the wedding, it was not addressed at all. Everybody was all happy and smiley, and it's fucked up. That is just really disturbing. So, I mean, luckily, at least the parents ended up going then, because they were like, hey, ding dong, the witch is dead, you know. (laughs) Exactly, but that's 
that's, I mean, it's messed up that these people were so just screwed up in the heads that they're just like, okay, and we're still having our wedding. Yep. And uh, Joe Laura was the pilot of the plane, and he was found to be at fault for the crash. The National Transportation Safety Board put out a report stating that he had lost control of the plane during the climb due to spatial disorientation. It was, like, very cloudy that day, and he couldn't really see, and he had not had his license and experience long enough to be doing this. And the particular type of disorientation he experienced made him think that the plane was ascending when it was actually descending. So it was doing a nosedive. He thought it was, he going, thought it was up. going up. And by the time he realized... That's not what was happening. It was too late. It just crashed right into the lake. Wow. And here's the kicker. Shamlin left none of her millions to the church. For real? For real. And so also, you remember I said Joe Laura had had a daughter with a previous girlfriend. Well, she had been fighting tooth and nail to get this child. And was fighting against these sexual abuse claims. And at one point she got him to say that, you know, that never happened. And on this day, on May 29th, she had handed the daughter off to Joe because it was time for her to go back to him. And so she didn't know, was her daughter on the plane? Was she alive? And yeah, I was literally holding my breath while I was watching this. Like I didn't even realize until I let the breath out. But she got a call then from a police officer saying that her daughter was safe. Thank heaven. I know. I like, I did like the shakiest, like, and like, I was like tearing up and everything. This poor woman had been through so much. And then even to get her kid back, she had to fly back from Chicago back to Tennessee. And the kid was with, you know, a member of the remnant. And she was like, I'm not even pissing around. Like, I'm not even going to go and try to argue. She went straight to the police department. They called from the police department to the grandmother who was like, oh, I don't know where she is. And then they finally realized, you know, where she is. And they called and she was like, I need to come get her. And this woman was trying to tell her, oh, she can stay here. She's fine. She's safe with us. And the officer actually had to get on the phone and be like, ma'am, if you don't release the child to her, I will arrest you for kidnapping. Like he was not playing around with that woman. I'm glad so am I. she went to the cops and that they weren't playing around either. Yeah, the whole thing was completely wild, and and at least she she got the kid back. Because could you imagine her never getting that child back? Yeah, it was... I'm glad she went to the cops first thing, and that they took her seriously, and they were like, "No, you're you're giving this woman her child back, or you're going to be arrested for kidnapping." And another thing that Gwen had done that I didn't mention. There was a member of the remnant that was Hispanic, and she spoke Spanish, and so she started a Spanish chapter of the remnant for Gwen, and Gwen employed her. At the time, this lady was making around $21, $22 an hour at her regular job. Gwen said, quit your job, I'm going to match your pay. This lady started, she got her first paycheck, she was getting paid $8 an hour. She quit a job where she was getting paid $21, $22 an hour? Because she, she trusted Gwen and she thought she was going to get matched. She got $8 an hour, she went to Gwen. And she said, um, you told me you were going to match my pay. Gwen looked at her and goes, you need to humble yourself. What the fuck? Gwen, maybe you need to humble yourself. Because apparently you didn't even leave your money to the church that you thought was so, so great. And you, you, you found it. <laughs> yeah, she just, she's a scammer. She's taking money from people. She's not paying people properly. 
She's trying to control people. She's running a cult. I mean, no, this episode didn't fall fully into just a scam or a fraud, but there's elements of it throughout, and she is scammed and defrauded so many people out of not only their money, but their livelihoods and their families, and she's destroyed people. And so I will leave you with a quote from another ex-member of the church. To me, the devil is a myth, but I've met Gwen Shamblin, and she's real. True facts. So, <laughs> I know we like to kind of go over, you know, how to avoid, how to detect, how to get out of a situation or stay away from it. And I really can't give you any information on getting out of a cult because by the time you're deep in one, there's no talking you out of it. At that point, you need a cult interventionist, and I am not one. So yeah, it's pretty yeah. tough. It's It takes a lot of, I, I've heard it takes a lot. Sometimes even with a cult interventionist and tons of deprogramming, they, they still don't believe you. They still stick with it. So instead, I'm going to give you some signs that you're in a cult or loved ones in a cult. And hopefully... If these things resonate with you, you get fucked out. Take that with you and do what you will. I have to tell you, if somebody I loved was in a cult and I was trying to get them out, I, I can't say that I wouldn't go to the lengths that the people went to with the brethren and just take them. Just fucking go to Just show up and just take them, yeah. Whatever. I'll get arrested, it's fine. You know, if I care enough. I agree. So anyway, the signs that you're in a cult. A leader is the ultimate authority. The group suppresses skepticism and forbids criticism. The group shuns former members. The group is paranoid about the outside world. The group relies on shame tactics to maintain conformity. The leader considers himself above the law and moral standards. The leader uses different means to weaken the minds. The group is elitist. There is no financial transparency. And the group performs secret rites. You don't need to sit there with a pen and check mark every single one of these and say that you have to have all 10 of the right. components to be a cult. If you start to notice that somebody is controlling people, if somebody is keeping people from experiencing the outside world, if people they don't want the people to learn other ways of living, when somebody does leave, you're not allowed to contact them anymore. And I know some of this sounds like Amish people, and I'm not trying to say that the Amish people are in a cult, because there's a lot of Amish where we live, and I know... But that's the thing, it's not even every organ. You know, some of them, if you leave, you can still see your family. So I wouldn't put any deeply religious organization into, the, you know, a broad scope of they're all cults. I can think of one that sounds exactly like Lise. But there, I mean, if you've got somebody who dismisses any skepticism, who says, I'm the authority, you have to listen to what I say, you have to do what I say, you know, they're controlling your life, they're controlling other people's lives, they're keeping you from any outside influence, you're in a cult. You need to face some realities and probably get some help. Yeah. And get out as fast as you can. Yeah. So, with all that, if it seems too good to be true, it is. It is. And if you want to find us on socials, we're on Facebook, Too Good To Be True Podcast. We're on Instagram and TikTok, at Too Good To Be True Pod. 
If you want to send us an email, we're too good to be true pod at outlook.com. If you would like to leave us a voice note, that's on our main page, which you can find in the show notes, and you can say whatever you want to say and tell us whether you want us to put it in a show. You can also monetarily support us if you want, because it would be nice to have some mics instead of relying on AI to incorrectly correct us. <laughs> We can't talk over each other or it thinks it's like one person or something or whatever. And next week is our fraud film, isn't it? Yes. And did we did we decide officially we're doing accepted? We can do whatever you want. All right. We're gonna have a fun <laughs> one next time. I'm not- I think that's more fun than yeah, because we were we were also discussing catch me if we can, but I mean, let's do something fun. Yeah, I mean not that the other ones haven't been fun to watch and to talk about, but this one is just straight up goofy. So <laughs> we need we need some goofy in our lives. And it's an older one, so I'm sure a lot of people have seen it. And if you haven't seen it, I know for sure it's on HBO. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you can find it other places. So we're going to be doing Accepted next week. Check and it out. I'm sure it'll be fun. So if you want to follow along with us, go ahead and watch it or rewatch it to catch back up on it so that you can follow along. Thanks. Bye. Bye. She, that little bitch, let me tell you, the other day I was sitting on the bed and she's sitting right here and I was giving her some scratches and I was scratching her butt and her chest sitter because she loves to get her chest sitter under her chin. And she looks at me, she reaches up and she grabs exactly one strand of hair and yanked it out of my head. I had to live right. And I just like, I had, I Cardi beat her. I was like, whoa, what's the reason? <laughs> what was the reason, bitch? <laughs> Thank you.